Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street! Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you. Brendan, we are back with you. I'm fresh from the dentist. Yeah. And I uh, got where I found a, a nice mocha. What was it? Oreo mocha? I don't know what it was. It was an Oreo mocha, and either you or our producer, Bobby Blanco, commented because... That's nothing like what the dentist recommends, like an Oreo mocha. Yeah. Uh, five out of five dentists say hey. right before your dentist appointment, get an Oreo mocha. It's great for your teeth. Yeah. Yeah. But if you could just with gargle the size, with sugar. With the size of this drink, I think myself and producer Bobby Blanco are, are concerned with your current energy level. Caffeine. Yeah. yeah. It's only, and I've only drank about two thirds of this. Too, oh, so. can't wait for more. Yeah. It's... Get ready. I, I will be bringing the thunder on this podcast. It, it seems like it. I, it because, yeah. you know, you're the lightning. I'm the thunder. That's what they say. That, that's what everybody says. I can't tell you how many comments <laughs> have said that. <laughs> you know, Brendan's the lightning. Paul's the thunder. Yeah. Every, I mean, look at the comments and section Bobby's, now. Everybody's Bobby's the storm. It. Yeah. Wow. That's, sure. That's what they call us. What's Amy? The rain. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> it's kind of sad. I, I don't know. This, Amy Jennings, our third. This movie. analogy lost me a while ago. Yeah. All right, uh, storm chaser says Bobby. That's a yeah, yeah, maybe sure. All I, right, I have no idea what any of this means. But. Yeah, well, we're going to be talking uh, on this podcast about Cedric Mullins and his breakout twenty twenty one season, and how repeatable the success that he had in twenty twenty one will be going forward. Um, and we're also going to look first and foremost, Brendan, at the results. From the all Earl Weaver draft. Do we have to? We're going to put a bow on this. Oh. This is going to be the, I promise you, Brendan, this will be the last time we discuss this at length. Thank goodness. Because you got your butt kicked. I uh, did. Uh, here are the results. If you're watching on Facebook and YouTube, it was me, Tim, and Brendan drafting the best players from the Earl Weaver era. If you haven't listened to or watched the podcast, I suggest that you go back and do so. But we put out this poll on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and uh, Tim really ran away with this thing. 59% of the vote went to Tim's team. That's 195 votes. I got 28% with 93 votes. And Brendan uh, bringing up the rear with 13% and uh, 44 total votes on all three platforms. Yeah, I mean, I, I did have 20 more war than Tim's team, but it, you know, it's okay. I'm telling it's you, okay. Brendan, this isn't Moneyball. Baseball's not one on a spreadsheet. Here. Well, tell that to Brad Pitt, okay? <laughs> Yeah. Do you ever think about that? <laughs> I mean, the thing with this draft, too, I, there were four really big names at the top of this draft, and Tim, with the third overall pick, was going to get two of them. Yeah. He ends up with Cal Ripken Jr. and Brooks Robinson. If I had taken Cal Ripken Jr. second overall, he ends up with Eddie Murray and Brooks Robinson or some combination of those four players so it was an uphill battle for both of us. I do give him a lot of credit, though, because I think that he built out the rest of his rotation very well. Yes. I got Jim Palmer number one overall. He took Mike Cuellar, Scott McGregor, and who are the Dennis Martinez and one other player, I believe. Yes. Who's the other? Mike Flanagan. Mike Flanagan was Tim's rotation, which is stellar. 
uh, a one through four, that is the best rotation of the three of us, yes. I think, even though I got the ace and you got the next pitcher off the board. Right. I think Tim's team did very well there. I think he got great value with Lee May. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how beloved Lee May was, honestly, if I'm by fans. And he was very productive, um, but we just didn't consider him in the category of a Boog Powell or an Eddie Murray, who we thought were the two best first basemen in this draft. However, Lee May was still a solid player as well. He had Doug DeSensei at second base, so that infield looked really good. I give him a lot of credit, Brendan. Yeah. He built a good team. I mean, he might have won the draft with Cal and Brooks outright. Yeah. We could have stopped the draft there, and he probably would have won. But he also won on the margins in the later rounds with building probably the best rotation, like you said, and got some really good complementary pieces to the stars that he had. Like Paul Blair in center field was a fantastic pick. So even with the advantage of having the third pick and getting Cal and Brooks back-to-back, he still filled out his roster very well. And if I'm looking back with hindsight on my team, I think I reached slightly on Reggie Jackson. I mostly did it because you brought up the trade or you brought up the player who was traded for Reggie Jackson. And I kind of wanted to make it a tie in that you took the player that was traded for Reggie Jackson. Then I took Reggie Jackson probably should have taken John Lowenstein. If I'm being completely honest, not as productive, but was here in Baltimore for longer, probably would have made for a better left fielder. I think I did. Okay. I know you guys thought I reached a little bit for Boog Pal when I took him. But on on the whole, I'm glad I took Rich Dower because I made you take Wayne Gross at third. Right. So you you didn't really have any other options there. So I boxed you out of the infield, which I kind of had to do. Even though Rich Dower is not a great player, it was more important that I box you out of that position. And then I got Jim Palmer and Mike Boddicker, but the rest of my rotation is just meh. You know, Ross Grimsley, Tom Phoebus. Yeah. Again, we were both kind of fighting an uphill battle knowing that Tim was going to have Brooks and Cal and figuring out how we wanted to construct our rosters based off of that. Paul, you kind of opted for some of the bigger names like a Frank Robinson and a Reggie Jackson. I opted for the numbers game in terms of trying to get the team with the best overall war. If people who were voting were looking at that kind of thing, that's what I was hoping would, would move my team forward, but I didn't really have any of the big names outside of guys like Eddie Murray and Al Bumbry and Ken Singleton. So while my team was good on paper and had the highest war, it just didn't have the same name value that your team and Tim's team had. Right. I do give you credit. You you took Bumbry right before I was going to take him. Don Baylor was a good pick in left field, I think. I think my best pick was probably Steve Stone in round 12, who was a Cy Young winner. This is true. So that's probably my best pick. I do think you have the best outfield of the three of us yes. across the board because you have Don Baylor in left, Al Bumbry in center, and Ken Singleton in right. And a good DH in Earl Williams as well. So I think he had a very solid team. Like you said, the problem was name value. Right. Wasn't not as many recognizable names, but still a team that would win a lot of games. Yeah, I think the teams were relatively even. Yes. I think when the three of us concluded the draft, we all thought that we had good teams. Right. But you just can't beat a left side of the infield of Cowderpkin Jr. and and Brooks Robinson. It's going to win. Well, we want to know what we should do next year for our draft because we've already drafted. Some people have said the dark ages, the time period where they did not go to the playoffs for 14 years. I don't think we're going to do that. Uh, We have done the all Camden Yards draft, which is 92 to today. And then we did the Earl Weaver draft, which was 68 to 86. So there's a 
only a slight gap there of six years. We're not going to do a draft. We of do a draft six of years. only the six years. Uh, or we do a draft of the guys who played in the 50s. You know, I don't, it seems a little, a little too old. I mean, we could do, we could do, uh, we could combine the two. Yeah, we could do an all time. We could do players who were drafted by the Orioles and count their stats regardless of what team they were on. Yeah. A lot of options. A lot of options. We have a year to think about it. We do. So thank you for participating in that for those who voted as well. And let us know uh, what we missed if you still have any remaining comments about that. All right, Brendan, shall we talk about Cedric Mullins here? We shall. This might be our last conversation about the 2021 season that we're going to have. Because now we are into late January, hopefully getting close to spring training, assuming the lockout ends soon. So... I think this will finally close the book on the 2021 season. And we're going to talk about essentially what we saw from Mullins that made him so good in 2021. And if it's possible to repeat that, if this is going to be Cedric Mullins' career high watermark, or if this is a sign of things to come. And when we talk about things being fluky, I want to say first and foremost, all players get lucky in some way. Some players get more unlucky then lucky and vice versa. Cedric Mullins was excellent. And when we say something, a stat was fluky, that means he might have gotten lucky here or there. But by all accounts, Cedric Mullins had an unbelievable year and he deserved to. That was that was not all luck. You don't luck your way into a 30-30 season. However, there were some areas where his success might not be repeatable going forward. Right. And it's important to keep in mind that when we're talking about potentially fluky things, that doesn't mean that his 30-30 season goes to 12 home runs and 18 stolen bases. If there are some things that were fluky in his 30-30 season, maybe he hits 27 home runs and steals 29 bases if things were a little bit different. It's not going to be a major deviation from the incredibly successful season that he had if we dive a little bit deeper into his numbers from last year and find some things that were swaying in his favor in terms of luck. So let's start on why we think that this 2021 season, the evidence that this 2021 breakout season was for real. And I think there is a lot of great evidence to support that. And I think it starts with the fact that Mullins made a real, sizable, physical change at the plate by switching from a switch hitter to a lefty full-time. And I think that makes a a difference that we will see going forward because that is a legitimate difference that he made at the plate. It's not like he was doing the same thing over and over again and just got lucky in a few at-bats. No, he made a major change that he's going to stick with. It's not like he's going to revert back to being a switch hitter at some point. He's going to be a lefty full-time and he changed his approach at the plate. He lowered the bat a little bit more, made it more parallel to the ground than he had in previous seasons when it was a little bit more upright. Uh, and he stood more upright at the plate. So he made some changes, some visible changes to his approach at the plate that I think paid off hugely. Yeah, the new batting stance basically meant that there was going to be less action that he needed to take to get his hands to the ball. It was a lot smoother. He didn't need to move his hands at all. And because he abandoned switch hitting and was only hitting from the left side of the plate, he was able to spend an entire offseason just focusing and tweaking his left-handed swing. And his right-handed swing was never all that good to begin with. So probably if you're Cedric Mullins and you're just trying to find a way to break into the majors in some way, 
he was probably focusing on his right-handed swing quite a bit because that was the one that wasn't working as well for him in the major leagues. He was hitting just 147 in his 95 career plate appearances as a right-handed hitter against left-handed pitchers, and he hit just one home run. So from 2018 to 2020, it's not like we're going to see those numbers again from Cedric Mullins because he's made the changes, like you said. You see his numbers there in 115 games. He hit just 225, only seven home runs. The power was not there, just a 632 OPS, and he had a negative war. So and That's from 2018 to 2020. Right. So because of the changes that we've now seen him make, even if he regresses from 2021... I don't think we are ever going to see Cedric Mullins put up the kind of numbers that he put up from 2018 to 2020, where he was just not very good. There's an article on Fangraphs by, I think it's Jake Mailhot, uh, called Fluke or Breakout, and I give him a lot of stat, uh, credit because he put a lot of stats in here to delve into exactly why Mullins was able to make that jump. And he brought up the fact that from 2018 to 2020, batting from the right side of the plate, Cedric Mullins had a barrel percentage of 0.0. He was barreling up no baseballs from the right side. And yes, he might have experienced some success at times because he could luck into a hit every now and again. It was not something that was sustainable. I think it's rare to see a player abandon switch hitting after they get to the big leagues. I think it's much more common that if a player is going to make that drastic change, it's going to happen in the minor leagues because that's an asset. That's a huge asset for a player who's trying to make a name for himself and find a spot on a big league roster. Having the ability to hit from both sides of the plate makes you more valuable, especially in the platoon world that we live in, it makes you more valuable to teams. So for Mullins to decide to abandon switch hitting, I think shows really how desperate he was to find success in 2021. He didn't come into the season, as we recall, with even a guaranteed roster spot, let alone a guaranteed starting spot in center field. So he had to make that change, and it was only after the repeated advice from guys like Buck Showalter years ago to current modern-day coaches on this coaching staff from Brandon Hyde's coaching staff that finally forced him to make this change. And it was a change that, while it limited his, his versatility in that way, made him a much more productive hitter, which made him much more valuable. Yeah, the only player that I think comes to mind in recent memory that also abandoned switch hitting was Tucker Barnhart, I believe. But I can't think of another player over the last 10 years or so that has abandoned switch hitting. And Cedric Mullins did improve in 2020, even when he was still a switch hitter. He had hit 271 with a 723 OPS. He was finding ways to get on base in those 48 games. If you remember, he was getting a ton of bunt hits. Yeah. But that kind of success just wasn't sustainable. No. His batting average on balls in play was in the upper 300s, which is just not going to be... A, a, a formula for success going forward. You can't rely on bunt base hits all the time if you're Cedric Mullins. And it was only getting him a 271 average. Yeah. So it's not like he was fluking his way into a majorly successful season. Even with the bunt base hits and doing everything he could to get on base as a switch hitter, he was still a kind of below average major league player at that point. And he still was not walking a whole lot. Right. So that 271 average 
didn't lead to a very high on base percentage. And for a guy that was trying to become a full-time leadoff hitter, especially in 2020, where all kind of stats were fluky because it was only 60 games. I mean, Mullins also bounced back and forth between the alternate site and the big league, so he didn't even get the full 60 games in 2020. There were all kinds of reasons to believe that the changes he made in 2020 and the si- the si- the signs of success that he had in the shortened 2021 season, 2020 season, excuse me, were not going to carry over. So he was bunting a lot and he was getting on base, but like you said, it was not hard contact. It was not driving the ball out of the ballpark. He still only had, what, four home runs, I believe, in 2020. So there was really, you really had to squint and try to search for reasons to believe he could take a leap in 2021. And that's why it was the drastic changes that he made at the plate that made all the difference. Right. And all of this background is to say that the 2021 season really came out of nowhere yeah, for exactly. Cedric Mullins. I mean, a 291, 360, 518 slash line is insane. You mentioned you only hit three home runs in 2020. He had barely flashed any power before that. And then all of a sudden hits 30 home runs. Seemingly out of nowhere, a ridiculous jump from 2020 to 2021, where we are seeing the power, we are seeing the plate discipline get a lot better. And the power isn't out of nowhere. We didn't really see it show up in his numbers, but even in the minor leagues, this is just kind of people's account by like word of mouth, but they were saying that Cedric Mullins had some of the best power in the minors. I mean, when he was taking BP, Like He was nicknamed for his power because of how far he could hit the ball. The power just did not translate into games. And And then all of a sudden in 2021, it did. And there were exterior signs too. I mean, he's a little guy, right? He he is five foot eight and he's not rocked up like uh, maybe Ryan McKenna or Austin Hayes. He's smaller than both those guys physically in terms of his stature. So there was a lot of expectation that that power that he flashed at times in the minor leagues. I mean, the most home runs he hit in a minor league season before this, and keep in mind, minor league seasons tend to be shorter than major league seasons, obviously. 14 in a full season. That was back in 2016 in Delmarva. Now, he hit 13 in Bowie in 76 games the next year, but to go from that to hitting 30 in a big league ballpark is a major jump. So there was, it was shocking for a lot of reasons. And That 2020 season, now granted he was bunting a lot that season because he was doing whatever he could to get on base and trying to stick at the major league roster. So he wasn't swinging away at every pitch. He was just in the third percentile in expected slugging percentage, according to StatCast. In 2021, that went up to the 62nd percentile. A massive, massive leap to go from third percentile to 62nd. He hit two 97 on fastballs in 2021. His hard hit percentage, his average exit velo went up. His barrel percentage went up to 8.1%. So he was just getting a hold of balls that he simply was not. And part of it was due to the fact that he was given more freedom to swing away and he had more confidence in himself to do that. But like we said, there was simply no reason to believe he was going to have an all-star season like he did in 2021. it was nobody was predicting that he was going to be a breakout candidate because this, the evidence was not there for it. Right. I, his barrel percentage changed by over 5%, like you said, which is an insane jump. And there are a lot of other numbers that can tell you that 
okay, if the jump from 2020 to 2021 was unpredictable, I I think we will see around this level of play from Cedric Mullins going forward, even if he regresses a little bit, because a ton of different things improved last year. It wasn't just the power numbers. His walk percentage improved. His strikeout percentage improved. His plate discipline numbers improved. Pretty much everything you can look at at the plate improved. Yeah. And the power numbers are obvious because of the home runs, but even just the swing decisions were a lot better. And that's really important too. Yes, he's hitting more home runs, but the swing decisions are better. He is getting more loft on the ball. He it was the first time in his career that he hit more fly balls than ground balls during the year. So pretty much everything was pointing towards more power last year. And I think that will continue as Cedric Mullins goes forward. Some of these stats are mind-boggling. He chased on only 28% of pitches in 2021 and swung at 76% of meatballs. So like you said, he was identifying pitches a whole lot better. You wonder why that might be. He talked about before the season the fact that he did have to focus a lot when he was a a switch hitter on his right-handed swing. It took up a lot of his energy and time because it took a lot more effort to develop that swing than it took for his lefty swing, which is much more natural. You wonder if that took away time from him developing some of his other skills, like plate discipline. It almost definitely did. So you wonder if that, combined with the fact that he was turning going from 25 to 26, a lot of development happens in those years, like we're going to see from a lot of Orioles players as they hit that 25, 26, 27 years. That is just natural development that these players experience. But... He, he advanced himself in so many areas that it does make you also wonder, on the flip side, is he going to regress at all? Because that 2021 season was so incredible, but it was also so drastically different from that which we'd seen from him at the big league level before. So is the true Cedric Mullins somewhere in between the Cedric Mullins we saw for the first three years of his big league career, or is it much closer to the 2021 season? I think there's a chance that Cedric Mullins regresses. However, I don't think we will ever see him regress back to the kind of numbers that he was putting up from 2018 to 2020. I don't think his numbers are ever going to be that poor. I think if he regresses at all, we will still see a good season. He's, at least not in the prime of his career. Right. He's not going to hit 225. He is going to hit more than seven home runs. He's going to steal more than 10 bases. All of those numbers are going to be better for Cedric Mullins. I don't think we're ever going to see him play like that again. But there is also some evidence to suggest that Cedric Mullins might regress this year. First of which being Cedric Mullins is not going to surprise anyone this year. <laughs> yeah, Cedric Mullins was... One of the stories of baseball last year with just how big of a leap he took from his previous seasons and pitchers did not have a good book on him. A, because this guy might have been batting right-handed against you the last time you faced him. And B, because he was a completely different hitter. So he is not going to sneak up on pitchers. He is not going to sneak up on any teams throughout Major League Baseball. Cedric Mullins is here and you are going to game plan for him and you are going to worry about him if you are a pitcher. So I I don't think he's going to see the same kind of pitches that he saw, especially early in last year. And in the latter half of the season, starting on August 2nd, 
he his numbers did get a little bit worse towards the end of the season. He had just a 236 batting average and a 312 on base percentage from August 2nd on, which is still pretty good, but a 236 batting average is not really what you want out of your leadoff hitter. He did still hit 13 home runs in 57 games and had an OPS close to 800, but his numbers took a bit of a dip. So I think it's possible that as pitchers start to figure him out a little bit more, his numbers might not be as eye-popping as they were last year. The number that really sticks out that I truly think is we may never see from him again, I, I agree with you that I don't see think we'll see the kind of depths to which he fell in 2018 to 2020 again from him. He's not getting demoted to Bowie. At least in the prime of his career. Right. You know, at least for the next few seasons. I don't imagine that happening. However, I'm not positive we'll ever see another 30 home run season from Cedric Mullins again because I know we gave out the evidence that he showed power at different levels of the minor leagues, but it is incredibly rare to see a player of his stature have significant power like that. None of his home runs went to the opposite field, so them moving the left field wall back is not going to affect Cedric Mullins too much. It's not like it's going to take away home runs there, and they're not moving back the flag court. At least we don't think so anytime soon, so the dimensions of the ballpark are not going to affect Cedric Mullins, but like you said, Brendan, he's just not going to see as many meatballs as I think that he saw in 2021, and he's going to continue hitting leadoff, which is great to have a 30 home run guy hitting leadoff, but he may never be a 30 home run guy ever again because I think pitchers will oftentimes look at the first batter of the game as a way to get ahead, way to throw strikes to, a, a guy to not walk and start on a bad foot. So I think that they probably threw him a lot more strikes than what we'll see from him going forward. And I don't expect him to be able to get enough opportunities to hit 30 home runs in a season again. I think that was just slightly fluky. And in addition to the fact that his hard hit percentage was really not that high for a guy who hit 30 home runs. There are not that many guys in baseball who hit 30 home runs in 2021. I don't know if any of them had a lower hard hit percentage than he did. Just the 39th percentile, according to StatCast. And his barrel percentage was just the 46th percentile. So I think he's going to be productive at the plate. I just don't know if that productivity will show itself in home runs. And I do agree with you that he might not hit 30 home runs again because pitchers are going to be a little bit more careful. And as a whole, it's just really hard to hit 30 home runs and steal 30 bases. There's a reason he was only the 11th player in the last decade to have a 30-30 season. But while pitchers might be a little bit more careful with him, I think it's also important to keep in mind that his base running ability is part of the reason that he was able to hit 30 home runs. Because if you are facing Cedric Mullins as a pitcher, you do not want to walk him. Because there's a pretty good chance that if Cedric Mullins gets on first, he might take second. So you can't waste pitches against him. If you have Cedric Mullins in a 3-1 or a 2-1 count, you still need to make good pitches there. It's not your prototypical 35 home run power hitter that you can walk, send him to first base, and not really worry about it. So the fact that he can steal second base if you walk him helps him a little bit when he gets into favorable counts where a pitcher can't just say, nah, lost this one, let's put him on first, because he might take second. And the important thing, I feel like a lot of fans 
you can just naturally jump to the conclusion if he's going to see fewer pitches to hit, he's going to walk more. It's also an important development aspect here because he has to recognize those pitches. He's going to get better quality pitches that are just outside of the zone or that are not in his sweet spot that he has to identify. And like we said, his, his pitch recognition got a whole lot better in 2021. It has to be just as good, if not better, than it was in 2021 going forward. Because if he's going to see fewer pitches to hit, that doesn't mean the pitches are going to be any less tempting to swing at. And especially when you see this all the time when a guy has a breakout season and then he'll regress a little bit because pitchers adjust and he's not either not ready for the adjustment or he just hasn't seen the adjustment coming and he is pushing a little bit because his numbers aren't where they need to be or where he wants them to be. And he is so eager to see a pitch that he wants to swing at and drive over the fence that he is jumping at pitches that he probably shouldn't. So that's where the Orioles have to help him as well. And I think that's an important aspect of the Orioles player development side of things is they have emphasized pitch recognition. They do it very well in the minor leagues in swinging at your pitch, not just swinging at any pitch that's in the strike zone, waiting for the pitch that you can hit. It is hugely important because these guys have especially Cedric Mullins coming from 2021 saw a lot of good pitches to hit and he had the opportunity to swing at them you're not going to see that as much but you can't get impatient and another way that the Orioles might be able to help him is in protecting him behind that leadoff spot yes is Austin Hayes going to be productive if he is the second hitter in that lineup maybe Ryan Mountcastle is the second hitter maybe Adley Rutschman in half a year comes up at is a quality number two hitter in that lineup. If there's not somebody who is productive in the two or three spot, yeah, maybe you're more likely to not give Cedric Mullins great pitches to hit because you would rather walk him than give up a solo home run. And if you're not confident that somebody behind him can drive him in, you'd be more apt to not throw him a good pitch on 3-0 or something like that. So if Cedric Mullins doesn't have any protection behind him in the two and three spots in the lineup then maybe he doesn't hit as many home runs because he doesn't get as many good pitches because you're not worried about somebody behind him driving him in. So I think if the Orioles can really help him, it would be a big help to put a productive hitter in that number two spot in the lineup and protect him a little bit. And 30 home runs from your leadoff hitter is fairly rare. I I think a lot of teams would happily take that from their leadoff hitter, but they don't often get it. They get a more higher batting average on-base percentage guy, maybe a speed guy in that instance. But the hope is that as the Orioles continue to improve their lineup with the additions of a Kyle Stowers and Adley Rutschman and the like, you won't need the 30 home runs like you needed from Mullins this year. I saw one comment on YouTube saying that, you know, he is a leadoff hitter. You don't need Cedric Mullins to hit 30 home runs. Just get on base. Look, the Orioles needed every one of those 30 home runs last year to win games. They just did. You're not going to... Brandon Hyde's not going to tell Cedric Mullins to stop hitting home runs because because they need him to be a more prototypical leadoff hitter. They needed that production from the top of the lineup. But the hope is that the Orioles, as a team, will be driving the ball over the wall more than they did in 2021 and that they'll get more production from the guys that are two through nine so they won't need those 30 home runs uh, from Cedric Mullins so that he can be free to be a more prototypical leadoff hitter. And if he gives you a 291 average like he did with a high on-base percentage and he's stealing 25, 30 bases, 
He doesn't have to hit 30 home runs per se because they'll be getting long balls from Adley Rutschman, Kyle Stowers, whoever is coming up. Yeah, power numbers aside, he had a 360 on base percentage last year, which is really, really good for a leadoff hitter. I think even if that on base percentage dips to a 330, you'd still be happy with that out of your leadoff hitter. And look, the Orioles are more than content with what Cedric Mullins has given them. Going into the 2021 season, there was still a question mark in center field. It might have been an Austin Hayes-Cedric Mullins platoon situation, and now you have a cornerstone of the franchise in Cedric Mullins. So anything that he gives you in 2022, even if he is regressing a little bit and doesn't finish in the top 10 in AL MVP voting, I think he will probably more than likely still be one of the better center fielders in the American league, which you are still going to take every day of the week. And the important thing is power was not expected to be his main tool, right? He has so many other tools that come to mind or at least did when he was a prospect before you think of his power his speed is first and foremost his speed in center field his defensive ability minus the arm we know he doesn't have an above average arm by any stretch his ability to take bases not just general speed but his ability to read pitchers and steal bases come to mind before all that in addition to his ability to put the bat on the ball and make contact and have a high batting average. So Cedric Mullins' floor, we saw how absolutely low it could get in 2018, 2020. I don't think we'll see that again, especially because he doesn't even have to be all that great a hitter for him to impact the game. It's great, and the Orioles needed the kind of season that he had in 2021. The hope is they won't need that kind of production as much going forward. And I think that the Orioles are hoping to get to the place where they can tell Cedric Mullins, you don't have to hit 30 home runs. You don't have to be an all-star caliber hitter. What you do defensively and on the base path is more than enough for us because we'll have the depth that we're expecting to have. So his ceiling, we might have just seen his ceiling in 2021, but to me that's okay because his floor is raising with each impact with each seal with each season that goes by i think that he will still be a productive player because of the other tools that he brings to the table and i think as we are talking about the fact that there's a possibility that cedric mullins might regress and not put up the kind of numbers he did in 2021 there's also a possibility that he now goes into just his second off season as purely a left-handed hitter and he is tweaking even more things that might work for him even better next year. Right. So I think it's entirely possible that Cedric Mullins, maybe he won't put up a 30-30 season again, but it's entirely possible that Cedric Mullins is still a very good hitter next year because he is still relatively new to the just hitting left-handed thing. Yeah, and which, he's only 20, he's going to be 27 this year. Right. So maybe with his just, like I said, second full offseason as purely a left-handed hitter, maybe he'll find out a lot more things. Yeah, that is that is at least the hope. I personally would like to see him, I don't know how, I mean, I'm sure there are drills that you can do that for this. I'm sure that there are specialists you can see in the offseason for this. I would like to see him improve his arm strength in center field, especially with the wall moving back at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. I know that's going to be more the left fielder's territory, so probably more Austin Hayes' territory. However, he might be have to 
get over into that gap more than he did. And his arm was a problem at times, and it flew under the radar because of how good he was in all, literally all other areas of the game. On the base pass, getting to balls, chasing balls down, the incredible diving catches he would make in addition to what he did at the plate. But if he can improve his arm strength, that to me would totally eliminate any questions whatsoever about him being a center fielder long-term because it does take a strong arm to play center field. And if you have a negative arm, that can hurt no matter what he's giving you at the plate and what he's giving you get to getting to those balls. Yeah, the only problem there is that you also can't really hide an arm in right field you and you can't really hide an arm in left field <laughs> after es- this especially <laughs> yeah. with the lo- left field in Camden Yards before was probably the place that you would hide a outfielder who did not have a strong arm it certainly can't be right so maybe it would have been left field before this but with left field moving back you might have to throw home from 400 feet yeah so I don't think you can hide Cedric Mullins in left. Not that you have to hide him anywhere. You can put him in center and he is still going to be a pretty good defensive center fielder because the speed and the range is so far above average and the arm is frankly so far below average that they kind of even out to being a okay defensive center fielder. At the plate, what are you expecting from Cedric Mullins? Assuming he is mostly healthy for the 2022 season, What kind of numbers would you expect Cedric Mullins to put up? I almost think we might see a Ryan Mountcastle-esque season out of Cedric Mullins that we saw from Mountcastle last year. Not numbers-wise, but in terms of starting the season out a little bit rough because you came out hot before and now pitchers are adjusting a little bit. Ryan Mountcastle was not great to start last year. I think Cedric Mullins will probably come back to a league where the pitchers have adjusted to him a little bit more. You are game planning more for Cedric Mullins. So he might start the year slow, but I think he will still pick it up and have a good season. My guess at a slash line is like a 265, 340, 475 from Cedric Mullins, which is still a very good season. I think he hits 26 homers and steals around 30 bases again. Fangrass does their annual projections and they use zips, I believe it's called, to project this kind of stuff. And they give different percentages and different percentiles. So, you know, if he were to repeat the 2021 season, that's in the 90th or 80th percentile as that would be a fantastic outcome. And it would, but it is, by the same token, unlikely. The 50th percent, 50th percentile outcome from zips has him hitting very close to the numbers you just gave, 265 with a 326 on base and a 457 instead of 475 slugging percentage with 24 home runs. If you get that, still a great season. You happily take that. Yeah. You happily take that because what he's giving you in center field, 24 home runs is still excellent out of a leadoff hitter and they don't have it, his stolen base projection in there, but he's probably going to steal another 25 to 30 bags if he's getting on base at that kind of clip. He does need to recognize pitches well, if not better, in 2022 than he did in 2021. And personally, I want to see that arm get a little bit better. But if he's giving you that kind of production at the plate, I don't think Michael Elias or Brandon Hyde would have any complaints with that from his age 27 season. Yeah, that's still a very good year. It's probably a fringe all-star season. It's Eh. just not top 10 MVP. I don't think those numbers get you into the all-star game, but maybe with... 
his defensive prowess it might and who knows it's, with the Orioles he might be their representative again it's pretty much close to what Adam Jones gave you for every year Adam Jones was yeah. consistently a 285 hitter so the batting average was a little bit higher Adam Jones never walked a, a ton so he had this batting average or his on base percentage I believe was about 340 and he gave you about 25 homers every single season so Adam Jones was got a, a few all-star nods, but was so solid in center every single season, and especially defensively, that that was exactly what you needed from him when you had the Nelson Cruzes and the Chris Davises who could drive him in behind him. Uh, so that is is going to be an important step for him going for for Cedric Mullins going forward. And like you said, the Orioles have to do their part in developing these hitters behind him so that it's not all on Mullins like we saw last year. I know we saw a good year from from Ryan Mountcastle, Trey Mancini, Austin Hayes took some steps up, but if the middle of your lineup can take a step up this season, that could help Mullins at the top. Yeah, because again, over the next few years, Cedric Mullins is never going to be the type of hitter that you are expecting to put up number three hitter in the order numbers. Yeah, You just don't need him to be. That is why you have top prospects like Adley Rutschman, like Kyle Stowers, who led the Orioles organization in home runs last year. That's why you have those prospects. You are hoping that they will be the number two, number three, number four hitters in your lineup over the next few years. Cedric Mullins, you just need to be your leadoff hitter with good speed who can get on base and maybe hit some homers. That's an added bonus. Do you think, just off the top of your head, let's look farther down and further down the lens here into Cedric Mullins career look into the crystal ball oh boy do you ever think he's going to start an all-star game in center field field ever again for the American League <sighs> no probably not because Mike Trout plays center field exactly. in the American League and Cedric Mullins was the AL starter in a year where Mike Trout was hurt Byron Buxton was hurt and not to say it was a fluke because he still had an amazing season and he would have been an all-star either way but I don't see him having better seasons than guys like Mike Trout or Byron Buxton and there's you know there's big prospects coming up Julio Rodriguez might be an all-star center fielder in Seattle I don't know I, I don't know if I see him being a starter but I think over his career, if he is a fringe all-star for the next few years, like Adam Jones was, kind of on and off, gave you a few all-star seasons, that you're, you're more than happy with that. Because, like we've said on previous podcasts, that's way more than you expected from Cedric Mullins a year ago. Right. Maybe a few years ago you could dream on him, but a year ago you were saying, if we can get anything from this guy, we'll be happy. But even a few years ago... Even the loftiest of yeah. career projections were not saying that Cedric Mullins would ever have a 30-30 start no. in the All-Star game kind of season. He was a top 10 prospect in an Orioles system that was near the bottom of the league every year. Right. So he was considered a prospect, maybe top 10. I mean, fringes of top 10. I don't know if he was ever top five. But yeah, the, the loftiest of expectations, I think, had him short of what he achieved this past year. He was probably around where we currently view Ryan McKenna in terms of a prospect yeah. with... Never a top 100 guy. Never a top 100 guy. Good speed in the outfield and could potentially be a good leadoff hitter if his plate discipline improves and has a good on-base percentage. Speaking of which, I saw a comment earlier on our YouTube calling McKenna a bust and a half, which... Did you learn nothing from Cedric Mullins? 
Because how early in it's Edric Mullen's career were player people calling him a bust? It McKenna took, also took flashed more big, yes. than Mullins ever did over his first few years. Well, I mean, it took him, but I'm saying McKenna f- has flashed somewhat. Right. My point is, it, McKenna to say that Cedric Mullins, McKenna is sal- is not salvageable at this point is to look at 2020 Cedric Mullins or 2019 Cedric Mullins and say that player is never going to be a big leaguer. Right. It happened. What did we learn from this is that players take time to develop. And oftentimes it's not the timeline that you're expecting. And it's not the timeline that the organization hopes for, but you give them opportunities, continued opportunities. It took until Cedric Mullins fourth big league season for him to break out. We just saw Ryan McKenna's rookie year. Okay. Patience. Patience is what I'm preaching here. So not saying Cedric Ryan McKenna is going to be the next Cedric Mullins here, but I'm saying give it some time. But he might. You never know. He might. You never that, know. That's the point. That's the point. Yeah. To call him a bust now is is utterly ridiculous. Um, we'll be fascinating to see what kind of changes he makes going into next season and what we'll see from him. If if I had to guess, I don't think he'll ever be an all-star starter again or he, probably not a silver slugger finalist, maybe a finalist at some point down the line, but maybe he'll get one or two more all-star nods. I, I think he's still going to be a very good center fielder. Yeah, and I think if he gives you one or two more all-star nods, that's more than enough. Absolutely. Considering the kind of investment that you have in him. All right, that just about does it for our podcast. Brendan, uh, you're going to come see my play, right? Oh, yeah. Much Ado About Nothing? Yeah, sure. At uh, Spotlighters Theater? Got to do that. Got to do that. I'm going to point and laugh. And, well, not yet, but I'm, I'm going to play it at uh, Spotlighters Theater. Support local theater, Brendan. Woo. It's... Uh, it's important yeah. cause to my heart, and uh, it's a great show. Hope you hope you are able to come down. Tickets I'm going are pretty to cheap. Invite all of my Orioles fan friends. You should. We're all going to come. You should boo and hiss. Yeah, and, uh, planning on it. Yeah, it's going to get some tomatoes. Just start throwing them. That's like Shakespeare's day. It's what truly. He, it's what he would have wanted. It's what he saw yeah. regularly. Now the only thing, the only difference is we don't have all men playing all the parts like in Shakespeare's day. Oh, you know that's a that's a big change. Yeah, from. Uh, from the 1600s, 1500s. should probably know when Shakespeare lived. All right, that just about does it for our podcast today, which, of course, you can catch on all platforms where you get your podcast and watch every week on Facebook and YouTube. Thanks to Bobby Blanco for producing at Brendan Morty is Brendan's Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano, and we'll catch you next time.